This morning, we are actually in the third week of a series called uh, uh, Getting Through What You're Going Through. And we've been talking about how God wants us to deal with the things in life, and he wants us to take us through the struggles of life and talk about those and, and, and bring us out the other end in, in a whole fashion. We talked a couple of weeks ago about shock, when, uh, when life just kind of hits you in a certain way and things unexpected happen to you. How do you deal with that? We talked a little bit there about how to help people who are in shock. And so if you missed that message, you can go back on our podcast and listen to that because I had several people say how helpful that was just in a practical way of dealing with people and, and, and wanting to go and help per, a person, a friend who's, in, who's, who's gone through a crisis or who's going through a crisis and how to deal with that. Then last week we talked about sorrow, the losses of life. How do you deal with the losses of life? Because we all have those as well. Today we're going to talk about the third, the third part of this process of a six-part process we're talking about, and that's struggle. When life makes no sense to us and when we get to a place and we start asking a lot of questions. And today, one of the things I think it's going to be helpful for many of us is something that I very rarely heard talked about before is the whole thing of, of how to pray to God when we're going through a loss, when things aren't going great. Because we've been taught to pray with thanksgiving, to pray with praise and things like that. But I doubt you've ever been taught to pray in, in regards to laments, uh, to lamenting to God. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, the next three weeks following this, we'll be talking about next week about surrender, then about sanctification, and then finally about service, about how God takes us through all this, the ups and downs of life and brings us full circle to a place where we actually, he can use us in great ways in our lives through the difficulties of lives. The reality is this, though, because of, of, of life, we all struggle. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 3.17, it says this, because you sinned, and the you is everybody, um, because you sinned, all your life you will struggle. Because you sinned, all your life you will struggle. Life is a struggle in many ways, and particularly in three ways. We struggle, all of us, in, in at least three ways. The first way we struggle is we struggle with other people. We struggle with other people. Uh, every relationship is broken by sin. There is not one person that's ever lived upon this earth except for Jesus Christ who did not sin. And because of those broken relationships, even in the very best of relationships we have with our, which hopefully the best relationship we has, have is with our spouse, that relationship is broken by sin as well. None of us have perfect marriages. The reason we don't have perfect marriages is because we married imperfect people. And we're an imperfect person as well. And so some of you are looking at your spouse and going like, oh, no, honey, you're not. You're, you're perfect in every way. Uh, you've been married for at least five minutes, and that's all, you know, and, and then you figure it out, reality after a while. But the thing is, is that we all struggle uh, with other people. We struggle through competition. We struggle through conflict, through misunderstanding. We have disappointment in our life. All these things uh, we, we struggle with in life. Today, we're going to look at one particular person who was an, maybe one of the best case studies in all of Scripture about the whole thing of struggling with God in a very literal sense, and his name was Jacob. Uh, Jacob struggled his entire life. And today, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 32. We'll be looking at that later on today in a little bit, but we're looking at some other verses as well. But J Jacob struggled his entire life. If you know the story in the Old Testament of Jacob, Jacob literally struggled with his brother Esau. Uh, he struggled so much that he stole his brother's birthright and his blessing, and it was a struggle through his life. It also in Genesis chapter 30, we talk at, uh, uh, we see where uh, Jacob struggles with his two wives. If there was ever a case for not having polygamy, uh, Genesis 30 is the perfect place to go because uh, it, it, just, just read it. Just believe me. Uh, it's, it's a mess. And the thing is, now, let me stop there for a second and say this. Okay, yeah, there was polygamy in Scripture, okay, multiple marriages. But not everything that's reported in the Bible is approved by God. 
Let me say that again. Not everything that's reported in the Bible is approved by God. Yes, there, was, there, there is polygamy in the Bible, in the Old Testament. But you remember back at the very beginning of the Bible when it talks, in, and talks about, you know, in the beginning, uh, God created a man and a woman, and he, he created, you know, one man, one woman. That's the, the purpose of marriage. Yeah, there, it is recorded that many people in the Bible um, were, had polygamous relationships, and, and, and um, Jacob was one of those. There's also slavery in the Bible. There's also rape and murder. But God doesn't approve of any of those things. Uh, the Bible talks about the realities of life, but it also talks about how God, what God's plan is in life as well. And so, yeah, that's that's part of the deal. But he had two wives, and so uh, he had this. Jacob had this incredible stress there. He struggled with his in-laws. Um, matter of fact, uh, there was jealousy, and they cheated uh, uh, each other, or they did all kind of things. He struggled with his twelve sons. Uh, um, it was a very dysfunctional family due to favoritism. All kind of things went on in Jacob's life. So we all struggle with other people in life because we live in a world where there's other people and every, everybody has sin in their life. And because of sin, we interact and our interactions aren't perfect. And so we struggle. We also struggle with ourselves. We struggle with ourselves. We do. Uh, your biggest battles are probably inside of you. Uh, they're, they're, Things we might call our fears, our compulsions, our addictions, our weaknesses, our flaws. The things is, is that Jacob all his life struggled with insecurities. He, he struggled with his place in his family and his conscience. He had all these struggles in his life as we look at this in a moment. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture that talks about this is when Paul says in Romans 7, verse 15 uh, through 23, he says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. But there is a law at work within me that is at war with my mind. Do you identify with that passage? That you're at struggle with yourself and so often in life you're saying, this is what I want to do, but I don't do it. I mean, I was having a conversation in the hall this morning with a guy and we were talking about how we, we both of us know that we, we know that we with, uh, eat certain foods it's going to mess you up. It's going to mess us up. You know, I know, I know, even though they're delicious, the donuts mess me up every time I eat them. I'm gluten intolerant, okay? Guess what donuts are made of? Called wheat. Wheat is gluten, okay? Or at least it contains gluten. And so every time I cheat, which I do occasionally, you know, I know that it's wrong, but I do it anyway. You know, I'm at war with myself constantly. That's, that's just a little battle. That's not a big battle in life. But we have these battles in life inside of us. And, and we're thinking, you know, I don't want to think that way. I don't want to act that way. And we struggle with ourselves so often in life. And I think this passage in Romans we really identify with. A third thing we struggle with, and our real struggle, though, I think is this. Our real struggle is with God. Our real struggle is with God. It's kind of like this with my kids. My kids have never, I don't think my kids have ever, 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 ever thought, well, my dad doesn't love me. I don't think they've ever thought that. So often. But my, my kids have never doubted my love, but often they doubt my wisdom. Your kids ever doubt your wisdom? Yeah, they do all the time. When, when, when they question, well, you, do you really want me to do that? Do I have to do that? Really, Dad? Really, Mom? You know, what the thing is, is that constantly our kids may not doubt our love, that we love them. But they constantly doubt our wisdom. And we do the same thing with God. I doubt if we get to know God very well, you'll not doubt his love, that God loves us. But sometimes we're going, really, God, you really want to do that? 
And so, so we, we struggle with God. We, and the reason is we want to be in control. And, and when God asks us in scriptures to do something and, and we go, really God? That's when we're struggling with God. And we do it all the time. Because if we didn't struggle with God, we'd do everything in scripture perfectly. And anybody, let's take a survey. Anybody here, I'm putting my hand is down. Anybody here do everything in scripture perfectly? I would like to meet you. You're not even human. Okay, the reality is, is none of us do that. Our struggle is with God, and when we rebel against God, and it says even in Scripture, in Hosea chapter twelve, verses three, it says, "As a man, Jacob struggled with God, because he was a man. He struggled with God." Matter of fact, if you look in Scripture back uh, um, in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-two, it says, "While Rebecca was pregnant, that's uh, uh, Jacob's mom says Rebecca was pregnant. The baby struggled inside her." And then she asked this really strange question. Why is this happening to me? Can you imagine mothers? You had two babies inside of you. No, it's bad enough. I mean, not, not bad enough. It's, you know, it's a good thing. I know. But can you imagine two babies fighting inside of you? That'd be really great to have, you know, two babies. And that's literally what had happened. They were struggling inside. I mean, even prenatally, uh, Jacob was a struggler. And so he, Jacob, struggled uh, with God and he struggled uh, with his brother even in the womb. Matter of fact, what we're going to look at today is that Jacob actually had a wrestling match with God. It's kind of interesting, uh, the story, and, and that's where we turn to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, Jacob's actual wrestling match was, was an interesting story about how do we wrestle with God? How do you deal with God uh, and when you're going through life and you want to do your own thing and God wants you to do something else and, and, you're, and things are happening in your life? It starts in uh, chapter, actually, it's, uh, the part I want to start reading is in chapter 32 of Genesis in verses 22 through 24. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two, two wives and his two servants' wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent, all of his over, he sent over all his possessions. Then Jacob left all alone in the camp. He was left all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. The context of this is this. Basically, Jacob had many years before, had cheated his brother, his twin brother, out of his birthright. There's this process in the Hebrew, uh, in, in, uh, the Hebrew um, uh, culture where the, first, the oldest brother would receive the birthright and the blessing from the father. And, and Jacob, if you want to read the scripture, go back a little bit further in Genesis and read the story of how, how Jacob really deceived his father. And he deceived and so he got the birthright and he cheated his brother out of which was the, the major portion of the inheritance. And, 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 and rightly so, his brother was ticked at him. And his brother was so ticked at him that he wanted to kill him. And so what happens after this happens, Jacob leaves that, that region knowing that what's going to happen if he hangs around his brother, who was probably more stronger, stronger and just more of an outdoorsy guy than he was, was going to take his life. And so he goes, goes to another place, another region. And he's, he lives his life out there. And while he's there, he uh, marries uh, uh, two different ladies. There's another story there about that. There's some other deception in regard to that. Uh, and then, and then he becomes wealthy. He, he, he gets a lot of resources and he has all these, all these resources. And, and so he's there in this place for a long time, for maybe at least 14 years, maybe up to two decades long. He's there in this region and he's gotten married and he's amassed this great wealth. But after a while, God comes to Jacob and he tells Jacob, he says, I want you to go back to where your brother is. I want you to go back to your hometown. And so he listens to God, and, and, and he says, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll trust you. And so on his, way, on his journey back, he hears that his brother is on his way to meet him. Well, if it's bad enough that your brother who wants to kill you is on his way to meet him, but his brother is on his way to meet him with 400 men. A welcome party, it sounds like. 
So when we catch this, this part of the story in Genesis 32, this little part we just read here that's on the screen, where it's at is he is at, on his journey back to his hometown. He hears that his brother is, is on his way with 400 men to intercept him. He doesn't know what the intentions are. But all he can think about, and probably all of us would think about, is he's going to take us out. And so what he does is he sends his wives and his, all of his possessions over basically to the other side of the river, and he stays there and camps out in case you know, everybody's wiped out, at least some of them would survive. That's kind of the, probably the strategy here that he's going on, that's going on in his mind. But while he's here in this camp, this night while he's alone, a man, it says, comes and wrestles with him, and we understand later in the story that this man is either God or a representative of God in some way, and this is who he's, who he's wrestling with. And, and it's interesting because Jacob has been running from God all of his life. He's been running from God and, 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 and he's been deceiving people. He's been doing all these things all of his life. And for some of us, that's the same story that we have. Uh, we've run from God all of our life. So God says, hey, it's time to go to the mat. It's time to settle this. And so they have this wrestling match. And then in verses 25 and 26, this is what it says. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it from its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now it's interesting here knowing the context of this because we're going like, okay, first of all, it says there's this no win scenario. They're wrestling and nobody's winning. It's like, it's kind of like, it's like a draw here, but they just keep wrestling and keep wrestling and keep wrestling and nobody's winning. Have you ever been in a no win scenario in your life where you're thinking about nothing, everything I do goes in the wrong direction? That's what's happening here, it seems. But the most important thing here is this. Who he's wrestling with. If it's God, or at least an angel of God, could not the angel have simply overwhelmed him? Sure, he could. But he lets it go on. And it's a purpose in this story. He lets it go on, and the question is why? Why does he let this go on? And I believe this is the reason, and I began to struggle with this myself as I was looking to this and studying this message, is this, God loves when you wrestle with him. God loves when you wrestle with him. Wrestling, did any of you wrestle in high school, college, anything? Anybody here? Some of you did? Okay. Wrestling, I didn't wrestle in high school or, or college or anything like that. I was a skinny wimp, okay? But, and then I gained some weight, you know, later on. But I used to be, you know, 6'2", six, six 145 pounds when I graduated from high school. So, I, literally, I was, you know. And... Um, and the thing is, is I wrestled. But my high school I was at, uh, my junior and senior years, we had the, in Virginia, we had the 3A. It was 4A was the largest uh, uh, high uh, level. 3A, we had the state 3A wrestling champion team. And those guys that wrestled on that thing, man, they spent their whole life uh, wrestling. So I went to a lot of wrestling matches. Man, it was like the best team in our school. I mean, you know, not in a lot of schools, people don't go to wrestling matches. But we went to our wrestling matches because that was the one high point at Glenver High School, <laughs> was our wrestling team. And uh, our wrestling squad, you know, we'd go to see... And, man, wrestling is an intimate sport, man. You get right down and... You're right in somebody's face or other parts, you know, sometimes. And, and you're right together, and you're struggling in all kinds of ways, and it's a struggle. God loves us to wrestle with him, and the reason I say that is this. The opposite of wrestling or struggling with God is to walk away from God. God wants you, would rather you struggle with him than to walk away from him. He, God would rather that you fight with him than flee from him. Because God, it's, it's about being face to face. See, wrestling is about who is in control. It's about who is in control. 
And, and the fact is, folks, all of our life, even when we say yes to Jesus Christ, there is still a wrestling match going on in our life for parts of our life. Is there not? Because like I said a while ago, and no, none of you raised your hand when I asked the question, do you do everything the Scripture says perfectly? No. And the reason is because you're still wrestling with God in those areas of life. But the good thing is you're wrestling with God. You're not turning your back on God and going in another direction. And, and in this scenario here in this story, yes, God or the angel of God, whoever he is in the story, could simply have overwhelmed Jacob if he wanted to, but he kept wrestling with him because he wanted Jacob to come to a point in his life where he would say something and do something. And Jacob does it. He says, I won't let go. I'm not going to quit wrestling. I'm going to keep going this until you bless me. And then in the story, the strangest thing happens in the middle of this wrestling match, this no-win wrestling match. In verses 27 and 28, this is what the, the, the Scripture says. The man, God or the angel, says, what is your name? What is your name? He replied, Jacob. And then he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now that's a strange thing to ask in the middle of a wrestling match. What is your name? Um, if this is God, which the scripture points out it is, or an angel, do you think they, that, that God already knew his name? This is not a hard question. Yes, okay. So why does he ask the question? Why does he ask the question of Jacob? What is your name? He already knew the name. Let me, let me explain something to you. Anytime God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He doesn't do it for his benefit. He does it for whom? For your benefit. He wants you to acknowledge who you are. See, in that day and age, so often now we name our kids basically, on whatever, I like that name because it sounds good. You know, whatever. In Scripture, though, when they named, when somebody was named, it was named after their character. Uh, their character. And, and you know what the name Jacob means? Jacob, the name Jacob literally means deceiver or manipulator. Now, how would you like to have that name? Okay, you know, think, think about it a minute. It, don't say it out loud either. Please don't do this. If you were named after your greatest character fault or your most prevalent sin, what would it be? Just think in your brain. Okay? If you were named after your greatest character fault or your greatest sin, what would you, you know, it'd be weird walking up to people, what is your name? Well, my name's Greedy. Oh, I'm lustful. You know? That's, that's literally what, it, what was being here. God was ask, asking, in a sense, asking Jacob to own up to who he was. So when Jacob says, I'm Jacob, he was not just saying, my name is Jacob. He says, I'm a manipulator. I'm a deceiver. I'm one who is who is who has done all these things all of life, and he says, "Jacob, say, God says, Jacob, I'm willing to struggle with you." And Jacob didn't walk away from God. He knew what he wanted. He wanted God's blessing, but first, what he had to do was admit who he was. See, when we come to Christ, the first thing we have to do is to admit who we are. That we were people who who were have been wrestling with God and pushing away from God maybe all our lives. And now we need God in our lives, and we have to admit that we have that need. And so what Jacob does, he says, this is who I am. This is, I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. But if he's persistent. Jacob is, but the good news here is that Jacob didn't let go. He didn't say, because of this, I'm just going to push away from God as I wrestle with God. He admitted the problem. And what happened when he admitted the problem? What did God do here in the story? He gave him a new identity. He said, no longer will you be called be called Jacob, deceiver, manipulator. He said, now your name will be Israel. And that name meant something totally different. 
You know what the, name, the, the word Israel, the name Israel means? It means struggles with God. Struggles with God. It also means prince with God. It means both those things. Isn't that a great name for a country? Israel struggles with God. You know the history of Israel? Doesn't that describe the history of Israel? They struggled with God throughout millennium. If you read the Old Testament, you see how they struggled with God. They turned away from God. They come back to God. They turned away from God. They come back to God. It's that whole history of them as well. It describes who they are as a people. And in this story, what happens is, is that Jacob, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. Because what happens is in a struggle with God, he recognizes who he is and what he does is he changes, God changes his identity. He changes who he is. God changes us through us, the struggles in life that we have. I've shared before that we can, we, we have the ups and the downs. We have both sides of life. We've talked about this already in our, in, in a series. And what happens is, is, is that through the good times in life, we very rarely change much through the happy times. But it's through the struggles of life. That, that balance of the struggles in life is when God really begins to change and work in us. It's what it happens here in Scripture. And so often we just want to admit who we are. And, you know, it's an easy way to, um, to describe who we are if you don't know what your name would be. You know, but it's easy. Fill in the blank. It's just like me to be. It's just like me to be what? Insecure? Angry? Petty? Greedy? It's just like me to be. See, that's our, that's, that may be where we are, and we have to admit that's who we are because God wants to change us, because God does, does his deepest work in changing our identity. Because how you see yourself affects everything about your life. So, we see that in Scripture. Now, the last co- uh, a couple of verses here in Genesis 32, it says, Then, Jacob ble- then he blessed Jacob there, and J- Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. And so we read that story. Now, I want to share with you today, the last few minutes, just how to wrestle with God and win. Yeah, I'm serious. How to wrestle with God and win. Because God wants us to win in this wrestling match, because Jacob won. He says, remember what it said at the end of the story? It says, Jacob, you have wrestled with God and man, and you have won. It's possible. And, and part of the struggle of life is learning how to do this. So I just want to give you uh, just, just very four quick points this morning about how to do that because every story in Scripture is there to teach us to how to have a better relationship with God. And this story is no exception. So how do I go through struggle with God? How do I go through times when I'm angry with God or disappointed with God or, and I pray that I do not seem to have the answers? What should my response be in these circumstances? And this is where I'm talking about we've not learned to pray this too often. Or to talk to God this way. And the reason that we can do this, we can go to God in this way, is because that God cares. God is not this detached, apathetic, unsympathetic person that's off there somewhere else. He's a God who cares. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says this, Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And I shared with you last week that there's this thing in Scripture, and it's there tons and tons and tons of times where people do these things called laments. Laments, there's actually a whole book in the Old Testament. It's right after Jeremiah, it's called Lamentations. It's a lament where Jeremiah complains to God about everything that's going on in his life, and he says, God, you haven't done very well. Literally, it's what he says. And 65 of the 150 Psalms, so often when we think of Psalms, we think about these warm, uh, just wonderful you know, just praises because so, so many Psalms are used for songs. But 65 of the 150 Psalms are, lam- are laments. 
And there's tons of other places in Scripture as well. And the interesting thing about it is you go through and study these, there's this pattern of lament throughout the Bible. Every time there's a lament and it's every place, you kind of see kind of a basic pattern of how people do this. And I wasn't taught this ever, and I've learned something recently about this as well. And so I'm going to give you an acrostic real quickly to remind you of this. Learned this from Rick Warren when I was listening to the series, and I thought it was a great way to remember stuff. The first is, and the acrostic spells the letter, uh, spells the word care. The first thing is when there's a lament, most of the time the first thing it starts off with is, is a complaint. It's a complaint. We complain. It's, it's usually as a question, why, God, did you do this? Uh, or when is this going to happen, God? Or how long must I go through this? Ever done that? The second part of, of a lament is usually after a complaint is an appeal. It's an appeal to God's nature. It's an appeal to God's character, about who he is. God, this is the kind of God that I see you. This is the God of, kind of God that you are. The third letter in, in, in this, this acrostic is after we complain and we appeal, we remind. We remind God. So often in Scripture, it's really strange. People remind God of his promises. Like God doesn't know. Once again, we don't do it so that God can know. We do it so we can know. We remind God of his promises and his reputation. Even in fact, I mean, some of people remind God of his reputation. God, if you don't do this, your reputation is going to be sullied. You know, it's kind of weird. <laughs> like God doesn't know, but he does. And finally, in laments, almost every time in Scripture we see the same pattern after we've complained and appealed and reminded, finally we express trust in God's wisdom. We express trust in God's wisdom. Even in things we don't understand. See, so, let me just, just flesh it out this morning. Whenever you don't like what's going on in your life, this is how you pray to God. Number one, if you don't like things that went on in your life, this is how you pray. Number one, you tell God what I think is unfair or painful. You tell God what I think is unfair or painful. Like I said, the first part is a complaint. A lament is a complaint. It's almost a demand of God. Do something, God. It's interesting there's tons of verses in Scripture, and I could just read. i got a whole bunch here. This is just a few. Now let me read you some laments in Scripture. In Job, this is what Job says in Job 13. He says, I've lost all, all hope. So what if God kills me? I'm going to state my case to him anyway. Now listen to my words of explanation. I am ready to state my case because I know I am in the right. Are you going to accuse me, God? Speak first, O God, and I will answer. Or, you, or let me speak, and you answer me. What are my sins? What wrongs have I done? What crimes have I charged with, or am I charged with? Why do you avoid me? Why do you treat me like an enemy? Are you trying to frighten me? Am I, not, am I nothing but a leaf? You are attacking me like a piece of dry straw. That's a lament. I bet you've never talked to God that way. Job did. It's in Scripture. God wants to get him to remind you, God's a big guy. He can handle your complaints. He'd rather you complain to him to him, then turn your back on him. Another one, David. David, a man after God's own heart. Oh, Lord, how long? In Psalm 13. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with, with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, my God. I trust in your unfailing love. And then there's a really cool guy named He-Man. <clears throat> you know, in Scripture, actually, H-E-M-A-N, Heman. I think it's pronounced Heman. But anyway, says this in Psalm 88. I said this last week. If you want to know the ultimate lament, this is it. 
My life is full of troubles. I am nearly dead. I am like a man with no strength. You have taken my friends away from me and have made them hate me. My eyes are weak from crying. Lord, I have prayed to you every day. I have called out to you for help. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide from me? I have been weak and dying since I was young. You have taken away my loved ones and friends. Darkness is my only friend. This is all in Scripture, folks. These are people crying out to God. These are laments of the heart. The first thing is when something is in your life that you, don't, that you, that you can't deal with in your life, this is how you pray to God. Number one, you tell God what I think is unfair or painful. In Psalm 142, it says in verses 1 through 3, David says this, I call to the Lord for help. I plead with him. I bring him all my complaints. Do you hear what it says? I bring him all my complaints. I tell him all my troubles. When I am ready to give up, he knows what I should do. The tones of laments vary. They vary from anger to sadness to fatigue to disappointment to fear. But always they come from the heart. They're always passionate about something that's going on in life. And so let me ask you this question. What are you tolerating in life and you just had not talked to God about? You think it's unfair, it's painful, but you had not talked to God about it. The, keys, the two keys to this is this in a lament. Complain to God, not about God. Complain to God. Talk to him directly. And number two, complain in faith, believing that God is going to answer in some way in your life. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 55, 17, David says, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. See, the first thing we have to do is understand it's all right to complain to God. I don't know, some of you met, might be the most uh, revolutionary thing that could happen in your life because so often you think if I complain to God, God is going to zap me or something. He's going to, you know, wipe me out. No, he's not. God loves to wrestle with you. He wants to take you, and, and he'd rather you wrestle with him about the stuff that you're struggling with in life than to turn your back on him and walk away. The second thing we do is do we appeal to God's nature. We appeal to God's nature. You know, one of the things that so often we do when we, when we go through these struggles, not only do we complain to God, but we also we, we talk to God about how, how we see God. It helps us to formulate in our mind how we, how, what kind of God we, we talk to God. And so often in Scripture, people in these laments would talk to God about how good and loving and kind and fair and how he sees everything and how powerful he is. And so they say, well, God, if you're all these ways, so help me. Help me. Jeremiah said, nothing is too difficult for you, God. That's the way he saw God. It, it builds faith in God as we talk to God. And there's all kinds of examples of that. Abraham talked to God this way, uh, appealed to God's nature in Genesis 18, Moses in Exodus 32, David in Psalm 14, Hezekiah in 1 Kings 19. Because when things like this happen, so often we say to ourselves, when we don't say it to God, things like, well, God, you know, what's happening doesn't sound like something you do. There's a guy in Second uh, Chronicles, his name is Jehoshaphat. I think they call him Fatty for short. But uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, he says in Second Chronicles 20, he says, God, are, are you not, did you not, will you not? I mean, he kept asking these questions of God. This is not like you, God. This is who you are. Appeal to God's nature. It reminds us who God is. Thirdly, remind God of what he said. Remind God of what he said. And his parents... <laughs> You remember, have, have kids, I know you've never done this as parents, it's just me, but um, you, you promised your kids something, and you haven't done it very close, you haven't done it yet, and what would they say to you? 
But daddy, but mommy, you promise. They ever said that to you? If not, they will. Okay? Because you have good intentions, right? And you mean, because so often it's easier to say, yeah, I'll do it. And then you really don't go to do it, but you'll do it eventually. Maybe you think they'll forget it, whatever. But see, this is not God. This is God, though. And I, like I said to you before, there's over 7,000 promises in Scripture that God gives to us. And one of the reasons we're studying God's Word is to know the character of God, who He is and what He promises, because God is not like us. He's not like a parent with good intentions who promises the child something, and our parents come to him and says, well, God, our parent, Daddy, Mommy, you said you would do this. You promised. See, when we, when we, when we remind God of what is said, it's reminding us of what God said. In Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12, Jacob does exactly this. It says this, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac, he says, he says to God, You told me, you told me, God, to return to my land and to my relatives. Then he says, And you promised, God, okay, those are those words, you promised, God, to treat me kindly. And I, I am not worthy of all the faith. And then he says this, Jacob says, I am not worthy of all the faithfulness and unfailing love. But, oh Lord, but, oh Lord, there's always the but. But, oh Lord, please rescue me from my brother who's coming with 400 other guys. Esau, I am afraid that he is coming to kill me. Then he says it again, but you promised to treat me kindly and to multiply my descendants. He keeps begging to God. He, he reminds God of his promises to him. One of the things that's always, to do, always good to do is to re- remind God of his promises because what it does, it reminds you of God's promises as well in the midst of the struggles. And so often we forget about God and we push away. God doesn't want us, he wants us to struggle with him. But finally, it all laments that I see in Scripture, the final part of the pattern is this. We finally come to the place of expressing our total trust in God, expressing our total trust in God. It comes through this process of, of complaining to God, and dealing with all these, these other things in life and finally coming to expressing our total trust in God. Because as we're reminded of God's goodness, we're reminded of God's attributes. If we're reminded of God on all these things, we come to a place where when bad things happen and I don't understand, we come to a place that's hugely important we're going to talk about next week, the whole time next week. For instance, an example of this is Job 13. Remember the complaint that I read a while ago of Job? where Job just basically laid it out to God, God, why are you doing all this to me? And then in Job 13, 15, he says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And then in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19, this is probably one of the most, the most after Habakkuk gone through all these things, and the nation of Israel gone through all these things. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vine, and even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, And even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. See, lament is a way of expressing the things inside that we don't want to say to God because we think he'll be mad, but God won't be mad. God wants us to struggle with him. Do you understand that? It's part of life. He doesn't want you to turn your back on him. He wants you to struggle with him. He wants you to be intimate, face-to-face, like a wrestling match. See, the way you win a fight with God, though, is what happened eventually to Jacob. The way you win a fight with God is by surrendering. By surrendering. 
I surrender my unanswered questions, and in return I get His blessing. And His blessing is His comfort and His power, and I begin to feel His love. But if we just try to push things aside and ignore things in life and we don't deal with the real issues in life and the feelings that we have in life and we feel like we have to turn away from God when things go bad, we will never receive God's blessings, the blessings of His power, the blessings of His love, the blessings of His comfort. See, the most dangerous disease you can have, you and I can have, is is the illusion that we're in control. And I want to say this in a loving but a hard way. You are not in control of your marriage. I don't care how, I mean, you can, you can work on your marriage and you can go to conferences, which I hope you do, and you can work on it, but ultimately, you're married to a sinner and you're a sinner too. And the only person that can allow you to have the kind of marriage you need to have is God in, in His power. And the more you surrender to Him and His way in your life, that is when your marriage will be the best it can be. You're not in control of your kids. Yeah, you can be a great parent. You can go to all the parenting seminars you want to. You can, you can study about parenting. You can be there all the time for your kids. You can go to every soccer game, every bad concert they have, everything that they do. You can go to everything and do it, everything it is. But ultimately, unless you place your kids in God's hands and place your parenting in God's hands, it won't be what it needs to be until you surrender to God. You're not in control of your health. Yeah, I mean, you need to work on it. I need to work on it. I mean, yeah, it's good. It's, it's, the Bible says our body's a temple of God and we need to work on it and we need to do good things. But ultimately, I don't care how, many, how, many, how well you eat if you ate everything organic. You ate totally paleo, okay? You know, some of you don't even know what that means. That means no processed foods. That means nothing bad in your system. Only things that God made, you know? And you do that. It will help you to, li- to, to be healthier, but it doesn't stop you from getting diseases and having other things happen in your life because we just live in this broken world. And if, that, if we think we have this illusion that we're in control, that's the greatest disease you can have because the only thing that will ever get us to the place of having God's blessing in our life is this, that we have our declaration of dependence upon God. The wrestling match and the laments need to lead us to a place where we say, God, I surrender. I surrender everything. It's interesting at the end of Jacob's story, in Genesis 32, 31, this is what it says. The sun rose as Jacob left Peniel. He, he named it the place, the face of God, the place where he saw God face to face. And he was limping because of his hip. Remember it says in the wrestling match that God touched him in the hip and, and caused it to limp. See, after you've wrestled with God, he blesses you, but you're given a reminder to depend on him the rest of your life. And I don't know what that's going to be, what your limp may be. But that's what I'm saying, that he ended his, what happened to Jacob is he ended his lifelong pattern of running from God at this place when he dealt with God and he had this time where he faced and encountered God face to face. So as we close this morning, let me ask you some personal questions. Let me ask you some personal questions. In what area of your life are you struggling with God? In what areas of your life are you struggling with God? I I, I don't know. For everybody, it's different. All of us have struggles. All of us have next steps. You know, a while ago when I asked the question, are you doing everything in Scripture perfectly? Just just ask yourself, what are the areas of Scripture that I 
to have a problem with. Am I struggling with giving God control of my kids? Control of my marriage? Control of my finances? Control of, of any of those things? Do I, do I do the scriptural things that God tells me to do in those things? What area are you struggling with, God? Second question, where have you been afraid to give up control? Where have you been afraid to give up control? That's a huge thing. Because we all think we're in control. We have this illusion that we're in control when we're really not. Another question is similar is this. Where have you doubted God's wisdom? Where have you doubted God's wisdom? You know, God, if I do this, you know, that, I just don't see that working. Well, God's, if it's clear, there's, there's lots of things in Scripture. The majority of Scripture is pretty black and white. There is some gray areas, yes. But there's black and white areas of Scripture. If what have you doubted God's wisdom in and after we ask ourselves all those questions the final question is this what do you need to admit about yourself what do you need to admit about yourself Jacob had to admit who he was he was a deceiver he was a manipulator he was a people pleaser in a real sense he was insecure that was his deep need because he had to control everything in life. And by manipulating and, and, and deceiving people, he thought he was controlling stuff, but actually he was causing more damage. And sometimes we have to look at ourselves and like Jacob when we ask, ask ourselves, you know, if God says, what is your name? And if our name was based upon our greatest character flaw, we'd have to say and admit it to God. That's what we need to do. And then God began to get, do his work in us and change and give us a new identity in Him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.